that's kind of John's goal for us as we're reading, for the, you know, for the audience way back in the day, and even today in 2024. He wants you to understand the person of Jesus. And so last Sunday, Steve asked an interesting question, right? He looked at John 5, and he asked, who is Jesus that he should impose a moral standard on him? Now, if you want to hear that answer to that question, I'm not going to say. It's recorded, though, and it's, and it's awesome. It's on our website. You can ask me for the link, and I will, I will text it to you. Um, but we looked at Jesus' claims about his authority last Sunday. Um, and we looked at what uh, what kind of witness or, or justify that authority. So if in John 5, John helps us understand the source of Jesus, he takes time right after John 6 to show us the person of Jesus. That's what we're going to dive into today. There's so much good in John 6 that I would love to unpack, but I think we got like 10 minutes. So we're going to go with John 6, and we're going to read the feeding of the 5,000. So I'll start us off and read that, and then we'll get into it. In John 6, starting in verse 1, I'm reading out of the New International Version. Um, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming to him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test Philip, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one just to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with small barley, with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. There was about 5,000 men who were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended him, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. <coughs> so this is one of the few stories that each gospel account includes. I think they're about <coughs> I want to say off the top of my head if I can remember, there are about ten, ten instances of overlap between all the gospels. And this is one of those. So I was going on that. Okay, you know, there are some things that are only exclusive to John, there are some things that only a couple gospel shares share in common. So I was dwelling on why that was. Like, why was this story enough to make it into every single gospel? Well, I think John wants us to understand the person of Jesus. That's his goal for this gospel. And this story, at least to me, as I was dwelling on this, uh, showed me four things about uh, Jesus. Four foundational things. John wants us to see about Jesus in the story. So the first is that Jesus is full of the power of God. Mm-hmm. You know, he kind of makes makes that claim in John chapter 5. We looked at that kind of whole authority piece. And then he acts on it. Jesus is full of the power of God. This means he is able to do powerful miracles, 
supernatural actions like multiplying food out of thin air. Like those are signs that point to his divinity yeah. mm -hmm. and his ability to make things happen according to his will. You know, we see that Jesus' will lines up with the Father that's the he makes throughout uh, before this in John. Um, you know, but we see that Jesus has this ability to do supernatural things, to do crazy things. Uh, he's full of the power of God. The second thing John wants us to understand about Jesus, Jesus ain't stingy with that. He's full of abundance. You know, we see Philip in verse 5, uh, or sorry, Philip in verse 7. Philip's worried about the price tag. You know, it would take more than half a year's wages to get everybody, and not even a full, a full bread, like just, like just a half. So Philip's like doing the math. Like I know like Judas handled the finances or whatever, but Philip might have been right there with him on Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't line up. Like, like we, need, we need you to pick up a second job. We need you to pick up a second job. <laughs> like, Philip was worried about the price tag, but Jesus gave so much more than even what Philip's value was. Yeah. You know, instead of everyone getting a bite, each person ate to their full, yeah. and the group still had twelve baskets. Yeah. Philip was like, oh, you know, like everybody needs a bite. She's like, oh, okay, okay, I can give everybody a bite. Jesus didn't stop her. He just went, okay, okay, I can, I can maybe give everybody a meal. Jesus didn't stop her. He's like, we're going to have one basket for each of you disciples to carry. You're going to carry it around. Um, maybe that's what Maybe that's what you're going to Cool, you know, you're working out your quads, walking around with people. Basket of bread on your back. It would have probably been awesome, though. Jesus' burden is light. <laughs> Yeah, Jesus offered ever-quenching water in John chapter 4, and now he has unlimited bread here in John chapter 6. So Jesus didn't come to be stingy. Jesus came full of abundance. So we see Jesus full of the power of God, full of abundance. The third thing, and we'll get into this a little bit about how much I struggle with this to understand about Jesus. Jesus is unconditional. Did you notice anywhere that in the line to get food or when Jesus was you know, handing them out, distributing to those who see it, did he ask, what's the seventh commandment? Can you recite that to me? Or, oh, how have you been respecting your parents? Or, oh, uh, you know, what, what have you done to earn this bread? There was no test to see who was worthy of getting this food. Nobody of these 5,000 men and probably their families, nobody proved themselves to be there. They followed him. All who came to him received in full. And there was no justification on their part necessary to receive from Jesus what Jesus had. Amen. Crazy. Crazy especially for this time. Um, the religious elite were all about how how uh, consistently are you matching the religious standard today? Come on. A double dose of scripture is important. <laughs> from Jesus in this passage is that Jesus is actually concerned about the heart of the you know, He didn't administer any test to prove himself worthy to get food, but he did test his disciples. You know, he asked the disciples, where shall we eat to buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test Philip, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. You know, Jesus was concerned about the heart of his disciples, but he was also concerned about winning the heart of the 
people. He wasn't concerned about the fame or the personal power. You know, verse 15 says that the people were ready to make him king by force. And I think chronologically in Jesus' life, this is probably the second time he's had that offer. First, it came from Satan, like, don't make him king of it all. And second, he's like, oh, you know, I can, I can exploit these people as long as they keep giving them bread. They're going to you know, they fight for me, they have me, whatever. Um, he was not seeking fame or personal power. Jesus sought to test and change the hearts of men, of people, of us. So these four things, you know, Jesus, full of uh, God's power, full of abundance, uh, you know, unconditional, concerned with the heart. Is this the Jesus that you know? Is this the Jesus that you know? Do you have a relationship with God that can be characterized by these things? Do you see God as a God that's full of abundance? Do you see Jesus and God as a full of power? Do you have a relationship with God that mirrors this unconditional element? Um, do you have a relationship with God that, that really changes and moves your heart? Or are there limitations on your understanding of Jesus? And I don't ask that for Jordan. Like, at this point in my discipleship, five years in, I think consistently, I only believe those first two. Like, you catch me on any, any given day of the past year, I can, I can tell you with conviction, God's full of power and full of abundance. What, the two things that I struggle with, man, I struggle with understanding and accepting that Jesus is unconditional. Yeah. Yeah. unconditional. Yeah. Like, I hardcore struggle with that. Uh, I'm still learning how to cope with failure in a healthy way. And so when I, when I didn't hurt, I didn't hurt in the of God in a serious way. Like, my prayer today is going to be all about how I suck, how yesterday sucked, how I don't deserve to even be speaking to God, and that's it. And then I wrap the prayer up, and then I'm like, okay, well, I guess I suck. I guess I just know I suck. You know, that skews how I think God views me. And so I start to forget that God has an unconditional love for me, displayed through the person of Jesus, and a lot of other examples throughout my life. I also struggle with that second part, you know, Jesus being after my heart. When I sin, that I am... I find that a lot of times I'm in league with Adam and Eve. Like, I sin and I go to hide them. Like, I try to run away. I try to, like, let me have a good, perfect couple days. And I'm like, oh, hey, God, what's up, back? I've read my Bible twice today. I'm going to you, right? Um, you know, I struggle with Jesus being after my heart. And if I understood that, his, his, uh, his goal and part of his character was to go for my heart and change it and work on that. Um, that's something that I try to hide from. You know, part of the story of our walks with God is the process of understanding and accepting these characteristics of Jesus. we got to let that understanding change the way we think of ourselves and the people around us. That's why Paul's like, man, this is the blood of Christ. Like, we don't, we don't look at people the same. Because Jesus didn't look at people the same way that we look at people. For me, Jesus doesn't look at me the way I think. Yeah. I don't look at myself with unconditional acceptance sometimes. Um, I don't look at myself as somebody with a heart who can be changed. Sometimes I can get confused about that. Um, the moments when I have been like on fire, I think, yeah, I'll drive you like four hours to the airport and back. I'll try to be a servant. Or, yeah, you know, just going to Paris, like 48 hours a week straight, I'll fellowship because Jesus loves you, so I'll love you. Like, I have those fired up moments, and it's great. But there are some times when I'm totally not, and, and, I, and I feel deflated almost in my faith. And I can look back and see, 
man, where did, where did that Connor go? Where did that Connor go? I always, and God has really, really blessed me with this insight, is that when I lose sight of the character of Jesus, for sure I feel afflicted. Because Jesus is the one who reminds me that I'm under the Jesus is the one who reminds me that he's not after what I do, he's after my heart. And to change me as a person and to work with me. Not to work with the perfect Connor who could come three days later after he's read his Bible and prayed on his side. Jesus wants me now and he wants to work with me. He wants to test me. He wants to refine me um, and support me. So definitely, I can I can relate to the struggle of of having um, almost a, you know an incomplete or or even a, an influenced view of Jesus that isn't right. necessarily sourced um, yeah. from Scripture that isn't really a godly lens on how we can view uh, our Savior. So, Amen. Yeah. How do we get to know this Jesus? What has helped me in those moments when I feel deflated in my faith? Or what can we practice as a community to help us to get to understand this? Well, super creatively, I call these practicals. Um, and I've got one practical for each characteristic of Jesus that we see here. So, how do we get to know the Jesus that is full of the power of God? Well, I'm convinced of his power because of the signs that I have seen in my life. Right. And this is how Jesus validated himself. You know, Jesus would teach, and then he would heal. Or he would heal, and then he would teach. And a lot of times, you know, the crowd even came to him, um, you know, this chapter in verse 26, he says, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, um, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had them filled. So he's saying that, you know, these, these signs and these uh, incredible things that happened in these people's lives, they validated Jesus' words. So I'm convinced of this power because I see the signs in my life. You know, I can evidently see how God has moved in the past um, throughout my, uh, you know, experience. Those answered prayers. Uh, special moments. Every every day I wake up and I'm like, I'm in Maine. That's God. As in, he took me out of my uh, Miami's rent prices like double in the year that I left. So that was a God move for sure. Um, I can see that as. But um, God really has moved in the past, and I can see those as signs. Now the thing is, looking back at the past and seeing how God is working gives me hope that God, who is full of power, can do miracles today and even tomorrow. Um, the times that I do feel afraid, I can rest. The times that I do feel isolated, God can bring people to me. Bring me um, it's so important to remind yourselves of what of the work that Jesus has done in your lives. So important. These things point you to the fact that God is able to work powerfully today. To full of abundance, right? We got the full power of God. We're going to reflect on these ways that God's worked our lives. Full of abundance. You've got to include God in your prayer lives and ask Him abundantly. Ask from Him abundantly. Mm -hmm. You know, as I was studying this passage out for, for even just you know, reading John last semester, I tried to recall this story when I was praying. Because Jesus didn't just you know, give the people what they... Well, so He didn't give them the bare minimum, which was a bite. He didn't even give the people just what they needed, which was a meal in that moment. Jesus came and produced abundance. And so, if we want to get to know that Jesus, we need to include God as if he is still this God right now. As if he is still a God who wants to bless abundantly. So when you pray, like, tell God about the abundant blessings that Jesus offered to people. Um, and invite God to do the same into your life. Now, it's important 
that we don't see God as like a you know a slot machine for our limbs. Mm-hmm. You know I'm trying to grind that Tesla. You know I'm trying to grind that Tesla that go like this. It's gonna be so cool. I'm gonna invite you to the church and like, uh, maybe you know the door of the Tesla's gonna open up that time. No, not gonna go to church. We don't want to see God as a slot machine for our limbs, but but I truly believe that God stands ready and willing right now to meet your desires as they align with His. You know, Scripture says as much in, uh, I, think, I think it's 1 John chapter 5, where if we pray according to God's desires, we, we can take confidence in knowing that we have what we ask. So ask abundant, ask for abundant blessings. Jesus, Jesus displays that. That's what Jesus we got to know. Third, how do we get to know Jesus um, as someone who's unconditional? Now, this is where brothers, we as brothers and sisters, are so key as community. And I think, at least for me speaking personally, this has been the number one way that God has shown his unconditional love to me is through my brothers and sisters. Like, there have been times uh, where the same shame I felt before God, I felt before people like James or or like Kendra, like two of my best friends that I've got up here. Uh, I upset them at, at, at a deep level at different times. And everything in my body wanted to run from those, yeah. from those conflicts. You know, Kendra even put me on the Enneagram and taught me that I'm a nine. <laughs> and I still wanted to run, even knowing that she would understand. Or knowing that I was going to face face a tough conversation with her. you like, like, these are moments when, uh, like, I felt the shame. I felt the man. I just, I don't deserve the friendship. I don't deserve the conversation. I got to hide. In those moments, they forgave me. Yeah. And I'm grateful to say that as of January 2024, they're still alive. But in those moments, legitimately, they reminded me that Christ's love is unconditional. In those moments when I had a real tangible face to look in and be ashamed or feel guilty or whatever, and get forgiven and get shown love, those are the moments. Those are the moments I specifically remember feeling that God's love really is unconditional. And after those conversations, I remember having such a deep and bold prayer with him, uh, in cases and otherwise that I would have been shot and meek and put myself to, you know, out of distance uh, from God. I had deep and confident time of prayer with God right after. So I think we as a community, we represent Christ's love through our love. That is so true. That's been my experience up here. Um, it's so important for the sake of sitting next to you that you model this for your husband, for your wife, for your for your coworker. I, I think we got some people all over the IDF, so we got some stuff to But um, it's it's so important that we can be representatives of Christ's unconditional love. That's how your brothers and sisters are going to get to know Jesus in this way. And then four, after the heart, how do we get to know Jesus that we can really bear our hearts to, and that we can really get our hearts changed by? So I'm speaking from a point of weakness on this so far, but I've had some strong moments. Journaling. Journaling is one of the most difficult disciplines I've tried to adopt. The consistency part can be hit or miss. Emotions are tough. Like I gotta think she helped, she helped me realize that emotions are not just like terrible. But emotions still are tough for me. I'm still getting used to thinking about emotions. And then when you journal, you've got to like write them down and make it make sense and put them into like, you know, you like, like, like complete sentences. And it's not easy. Um, yet the most emotional clarity that I've ever gotten 
and especially in times of deep emotional distress, um, has been when I pray through what I just wrote down in my journal. Um, wow. Things that have legitimately shaped the foundation of my discipleship have come like a day or two after I write out a huge long journal entry with all the stuff I'm feeling, the insecurities, the hopes, the fears, the uncertainty, all that. And I'm like, man, these are some really ugly paragraphs. I'm probably gonna get fired if I, if I show this to anybody. Um, right after that, man, I feel some of the most deep emotional transformation over the next couple weeks. So I just imagined if I journal consistently what that would look like. So I'm trying to work on that. Maybe you guys can keep me counting. But um, I think to understand Jesus as somebody after the heart, we need to bear our hearts towards God. So yeah. I would encourage, if you've never tried it before, journal. I use the notes app on my phone. because I can, I can just do that with my thumbs. Um, write a couple sentences. Just take a time. Sit for a minute and write that. This is how I'm feeling. Pray through that and see what God does. Um, you know, I think I, I truly believe that that's the intimacy level that God wants us to operate with Him on in prayer. That level of intimacy. You know, Jesus even says as much in John 17 uh, during His prayer for the disciples to have the same type of intimacy that He has with God, which is, I don't know if I've ever had that type of intimacy with anybody. Um, but that's the, that's the intimacy level that Jesus desires for us. You know, knowing Jesus is the single greatest pursuit of this community. Knowing Jesus is the best and most important thing we can do together and individually. If you read into John 6, around verse 25, uh, you get into some incredible stuff, which I totally encourage you to read, especially after this. But he says in verse 29, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent, which is Jesus. You know, the quality of our intimacy, uh, the quality of our intimacy with and allegiance to God is dependent on our understanding of the person of Jesus. Which again, the whole, the whole book of John is written for that goal, but specifically in John 5. I want us to walk away understanding that we can get to know God in some incredible ways. We can get to know the person of God and have that shape uh, our lives and our discipleship, which is really dope. Super excited. I think like all last semester, almost every campus was about intimacy with God. So we've learned a lot about this. Uh, you can ask some of the some of the youngins in this in this fellowship what intimacy with God's about. But with that, uh, we're gonna pray for communion. My Bible's a little too heavy. <laughs> uh, let's pray for communion. Take communion and then we'll end with Father, you are so good to us. Your goodness has been so fully displayed in the person and in the life of Jesus. Your son, you said. Um, if we look back in any uh, or if any of us can look back in our lives and try to understand the unconditionality of your love, the power that you have, the abundant nature, um, uh, the abundant nature of your gifts. I think it's so adequately and so fully represented in the sacrifice of your son, which is what we're doing with communion is we're, we're acknowledging that. So as we take communion, God, allow us to focus on the sacrifice of your son as it is a, a display of your love for us, a display of your power, a display of your intentionality and your desire to open the door to continue to you. So much.